Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam Levinter. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak to all kinds of entrepreneurs doing amazing things in business and beyond. And this episode is brought to you in part by the Next Founders Program. Are you the founder of a Canadian business that's ready to scale or an inventor with technology you're looking to commercialize? Next Founders, delivered by Next Canada, is a three-month program that helps founders take their startup to the next level. Next Founders accelerates your growth by providing mentorship from top CEOs and serial entrepreneurs, access to investors and capital, a phenomenal network, and unparalleled founder development. Scale your business and your mindset with Next Founders, see upcoming events, learn more, and apply before March 19th at www.nextfounders.ca. Today is my chat with Dan Dembski, co-founder at Unbound Merino, one of the fastest growing and unique direct-to-customer apparel brands on the web. In a world dominated by fast fashion, Unbound is slowing things down by producing timeless, versatile pieces that are designed to last. In this episode, Dan and I cover a ton, including the company's amazing start on Indiegogo, where they smashed funding goals, what it took to create that first pitch video, the appeal of Merino Wool and the company's experience sourcing suppliers in China, Dan's system for selecting the right manufacturer overseas, how to get press when you're starting out, what it means to be in business with best friends, and a lot more. This was a real fun episode for me, so hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. And with that intro out of the way, here is Dan Dembski. Okay, so so when did you guys start officially? So we started, okay, let me think. So it we launched our we launched our crowdfunding campaign in I believe it was June, June of 2016, mm-hmm. and we were working on this for I mean it goes back into early 2015. It was about a year and a half of building our crowdfunding campaign until we launched it. Then we did our crowdfunding campaign, and then we officially launched our store in the in December of 2016. Is that typical that year and a half timeline? I think it might be we when we started our crowdfunding campaign we we didn't have as much time as we would have liked to focus all our energy on it because we all had I mean my business partners we worked full time I had my other business Demo one of my partners he worked full time at an ad agency and he had kids so he had to go home and deal with his kids so we only had the opportunity to work on it once a week on Friday night. So we started at 8 p.m. We'd go late to the night. And then every other week, we'd maybe take a day off work or do a weekend where we'd have like a day like where we do eight hours. So we ha- we it was drawn out for two reasons. One, because we had such limited time to put into this. Mm-hmm. And the other reason is because we also had to source manufacturers and then create prototypes. So there's all these time gaps when you say you give out some specs of what you want your prototype to look like, and then you get it back, but you make revisions and we'd have to send stuff back to China, have, communicate with them to iterate on the product. And then they'd send something back and it would be another week or so. So the gaps in time there made it drew, drew out over the course of a whole year as well. So I think if you're building a product, it does take that time. None of you guys had experience, right? Like in terms of manufacturing and product overseas. I had a little bit of manufacturing experience with socks, 
So it, it was relatively simple, the process, and it was it's a lot easier with socks because what we had to do was just come up with the design, give them to the sock supplier, they give a sample we order. Mm-hmm. But when we were doing shirts, it becomes a lot more complicated when you have to figure out the fit and you have to create paper patterns and it, it's just a little bit more intricate. So in real clothing manufacturing, I don't think I gleaned a lot from having made socks even though I technically made clothing before. It was kind of as if I had no experience. I was starting from scratch. What's the value proposition for those that don't know about the company? And more importantly, just describe the mission of the company and how it all came about. So, well, what we sell is we make clothing that's made, well, our t-shirts are made of 100% merino wool. And a lot of people don't realize that merino wool is not just scarves and, and woolly sweaters. It can be made into a super fine material that, feels closer to cotton than it does to wool. And the benefit of wearing it is it's antibacterial and odor resistant. So, you know, when you wear a pair of jeans, like you can wear it out and then when you come home, you might put it back on your shelf and you'll wear it the next day or a couple of days later. You don't have to wash it between everywhere because denim has that same natural property. This it, it naturally is odor resistant and antibacterial. So people are okay wearing jeans over and over again. The only time you're going to wash your jeans is either got them dirty or maybe they, they've loosened up a bit and you want to put it through a wash cycle to kind of tighten them up or or it's been a while you're kind of like hey, i should probably wash these jeans merino wool t-shirts is hard for a lot of people to grasp but you can wear it over and over again in the same kind of way so it's a great solution to for travelers because when you're packing to go away for two or three weeks sometimes you're going to pack like 14 t-shirts and then you have to stuff dirty shirts into a bag or find a laundromat or do expensive laundry at a hotel so our clothing is a solution to help people pack lighter so if they're going away for a few weeks rather than bring 14 shirts you can bring two or three and you can rewear them without the worrying about whether they're they're going to smell or you know if if they get dirty after that one wear even if you sweat right through it so that's what we position it towards is to help people pack lighter so they can travel further travel longer and experience more without the without all the extra baggage literally were you guys targeting a certain customer base out of the gate or or were you developing this just to scratch your own itch well, you know, I had another business and I, I was, you know, for many years and I, I was very unhappy in it. And uh, because I lost my passion, you know, the the revenue was starting to sort of slowly dip and 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 my my happiness was just like in a in a complete nosedive. I, I just hated doing what I was doing. So I wanted to create a new business and I was thinking for years, like, what's this business gonna be? I knew that I wanted to create a product because I was selling a service before and I wanted to do something very drastically different. And I and I was really just looking for what that thing was. And how we came to to, to Unbound Merino was I I came to a place where I wanted this product to exist. Now we didn't invent merino wool. Like this fabric existed long before we started selling it. But when I was looking for the, a, a solution for my honeymoon to pack lighter, because I didn't want to bring a lot of baggage, uh, I came across a blog post that said, I, this guy uses merino wool for the reason that I just explained before, because if you can wear it over and over again, so you can pack less stuff. So I started going around to stores right in my neighborhood that have like the three stores that would supply merino wool clothing, like of all stores that you'd want to go to, you'd want to go to Europe bound, Mech, Patagonia and they're all right in my area and I went through these stores and either they weren't carrying it they had limited supply or the stuff just didn't look like the stuff I would want to bring on my honeymoon it was very much made for people who go you know they're they're hikers canoe you know portagers 
they, they're triathlon athletes, stuff like that. And it looked like that. So I couldn't find basic, stylish, simple, nice clothing that I'd want to wear out to like a cocktail bar or to just a regular restaurant or even just out for a walk in, in, a, in another city because all the stuff looked like you. It was athletic wear or outdoors wear. Like I remember one of the shirts I found at one of the stores, it actually had a Timberwolf on it, like howling at the moon. And it said, live free. And the shirt was $110. And then like, this is ridiculous. So I ended up getting some, some Merino wool clothing and I did go on my honeymoon with it. And when I look back at pictures, I'm like, I, you know, it, it, it solved the problem, but I just didn't like, it wasn't the clothing that I would have liked to bring aesthetically. I'm like, why doesn't this exist? So I felt like, wow, if I can't find this and I'm looking this hard, maybe I should create it. Like it was like, it, it just hit me. I'm like, I've been looking for something. I think this is it. If I just discovered this for me, maybe there's a whole market of people like me that would say, that's a great idea. And I'm, I'm into that. So we kind of modeled myself as the core consumer. And that made it very easy for me to, to think of how all the marketing materials should look and feel. Indiegogo is kind of the first real starting point, right? To test whether or not you have product market fit. That whole process of just putting together the video getting this out there i mean you clearly more than surpassed your targets right what was your target by the way we well it's a good question so our target on indiegogo was thirty thousand dollars but we really needed about seventy five thousand dollars to start this business Mm. but we said thirty thousand dollars because we thought if we can get to thirty thousand we can get to thirty thousand dollars a lot faster that would give the appearance of our campaign being like oh it's hot and it got funded much quicker so it was an illusion to to get people excited that didn't know about us to say wow look this thing got funded and you know we were hoping we get it funded within a couple of days um and by doing that it would attract more people to think wow look at this like people are really into this whereas if we asked for the whole 75,000 we thought maybe it would be a lag getting up to 75,000 and it would look like a failure out of the gate so we really needed 75,000 but we said we needed 30 and you raised how much 375 i think which is shocking, right? I mean, you, you essentially 10x your target. And I mean, at this at this point, are you guys all in? Like you mentioned, your two other partners, you're meeting every Friday night. You guys all have other gigs. Is everybody all in at this point? So it was, I was all in. So the second we got to that point, I'm like, okay, I've been looking for years and being very unhappy with what I was doing. And I finally found this opportunity to do something that's so authentically me that it fits the business model of what I wanted to create. And I'm the core consumer and every, it checked just, just every box of what I was looking for. And I left my other businesses immediately. Now, kind of unceremoniously, and I think in hindsight, I would have done it a little differently. But I knew for me and for my life, this is my opportunity and I needed to be all in. Did it matter if, the, if they were coming with you? Like if you were going to be a solopreneur, let's say, because you've always had these guys right like you have a history of doing business with your good friends and i want to ask you about that we'll get to that later but was this a business that you were going to go solo at anyway i you know what i've never intended to do it solo right from the beginning so i went to my one of my business partners andrew and i said this is an idea that i have and i want to create this he's like, all right well let's get together and start doing it so we started having you know a couple sessions where we'd work and sort of figure out well, what are the next steps like how do we source of supplier and mm -hmm. and i felt like it was kind of uh, there was something missing it was like a challenge like I, I we couldn't we just didn't have like this like i mean i he's the guy for me he's my right hand man and i worked with him in my previous business 
I worked with him in all my part-time. I'm not even exact kidding. Since we were 12 years old, we worked at every job together. We delivered newspapers together and met at McDonald's when we were done. We worked at the movie theater and the grocery store up, up until our biz media, my first business. Uh, I, I've never not worked with him. So it's almost like I don't even know what it's like not to work with him. But we weren't getting – we weren't firing on all cylinders together and there's something missing. So we went to our other best friend, Dima, and said, hey, look, we're trying to do this thing. Do you want to help us? We, we need to get it get it off the ground. And when he came aboard, it was like, it just, the chemistry just worked. Like everything just started moving along. Like our brand came together. Like he came up with sort of, you know, tightening up our positioning and our brand name. And and it just gelled in terms of really leading and getting started. Uh, I, kind, I, I don't even consult with him on everything. I'm good at getting it going myself, but I'm not good at imagining doing this on my own. I, I love working with those guys. I love working with my best friends. And it makes it way more fun for me. So I never, you know, I'll, I, even though I was the first person to jump in full time, I, I was immediately trying to think, like, how soon can we pull these guys from their other work? Like, I want these guys right now full time. And we were working until it was realistic and possible for them to do it. Because, you know, although we did really well in our crowdfunding campaign, we didn't yet have a business. We just had our start. And I, was, I wasn't sure. Like, hey, I, this now worked. And I proved that we found some product market fit. But we don't have a business yet. We don't have a business until we build a website and people are coming to that website and buying our product there. So we did that. And it took a few more months after we did the crowdfunding campaign, shipped our stuff. We launched our Shopify store. Uh, we got up and running and started to sell. And the revenue was slowly building. And until we're like, okay, this thing is continuing to grow, that's when the conversation got real. Okay, go leave your job. And it was very easy for me to do to jump in full time because I've lived like on fumes. I've been on the wire. I've been I've had ups and downs in business, and I'm and I, and and I don't have any dependents. So my my wife was doing well, and she was making a bit of money. Uh, and you know we live pretty modestly. So I'm like I have the ability, but also the balls to jump in full time. Okay, so so the video. Let's talk about the video. It's a great watch. You had a bit of an advantage because from your prior experience with Biz Media. I mean, you have experience putting together videos. This is what you did before, right? So I guess in a way, you said you were unhappy with the business, but sort of a gift in a way that you had that skill set, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, it was a gift in the sense that it made it next to free to do. <laughs> yeah, my, my next question is going to be, what, what was the cost or what would have been the cost of producing a video like that, say, if you went to an agency? So if you went to an agency, you're going to, you know, if you're lucky, it would be 10000 you know, it could be 15, 20, but that's just because you're going to an agency that needs to pay all their overhead and all that stuff. And that's a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't have the resources readily available to me from being a video production company ourselves, um, I, but I, I do have the know-how of how to do it on the cheap and anyone can do that. Um, you just got to find everyone on a, on a freelance basis. You know, the younger, the better, but you have to just really know what you want out of the video. And the, I, I don't think like it was an advantage because I didn't have a lot of money to put into this thing. You know, I wanted to get this crowdfunding campaign up as cheap as possible because I just it was a it was like a Hail Mary fourth quarter thing for me. Like, I, I don't have a lot of money to put into this. I hope it works, but I can't put a lot of money because I'm not sure. But I don't think the videos that you make for crowdfunding are very difficult conceptually to make. And, and because I think everything else we did in our crowdfunding campaign, we could have done for a video. All, all we did was look at all of these successful campaigns that came before us and watch the videos, look at all the assets throughout the campaign. And we just picked and chose the best 
of like little pieces that we liked and said, okay, well, let's make our, uh, you know, our, our production delivery timeline look like this. This is a really good one from this campaign. And let's, uh, you know, we watched videos and we sort of tried to find like a narrative, like a structure. What we realized is it's kind of like an infomercial, you know, with the, the good videos were really positioned around what's the benefit to the customer. Like no one cares about us and like our history of the fact that we have produced socks and like what makes us credible. All they care about is if I back this, like how is this product going to benefit my life? So we've noticed that sort of pattern in people's videos. So we copied that sort of approach. Like let's beat them over the head with the product and how it benefits them. You buy it. This is why your, your, your vacation will be better. This is why your business travel will be better. This is how your life will be better. Like it's a, the travel hack of all travel hacks and we made it all about them. So not just in the video, but everything we did in the campaign was centered around how can we beat the viewer or the browser over the head with this will benefit their lives. And how and then we we also stole like the stylistic thing. It was all just a big combination of everything else that we saw that we liked. So if I were to do a crowdfunding campaign again, it would be the same kind of thing. It's like find things that have worked in other campaigns and just replicate. So and that goes down to the video. And Indiegogo as a as the platform versus say Kickstarter. What was the thought process there? Kickstarter is a bigger platform. So if you hit it on Kickstarter, the upside potential is way higher. But what I didn't like about Kickstarter is because they're so big, it's next to impossible to get any support from them. It's kind of like Google or Facebook. If you have an issue with Facebook or Instagram or something, yeah, let's say luck. your account got deleted. <laughs> but yeah, good yeah. luck talking to someone. Yeah. You're not going to find it. And I tried contacting Kickstarter and they, they just don't respond. It's just impossible. However, Indiegogo, not only do they talk to you, they cut deals with you. Say, hey, you know, you put your campaign goal, if you can get to 30% within with Within the first 48 hours, we'll feature you in our newsletter, and our newsletter is massive. The amount of attention that you'll get, the amount of orders you get, it's it's significant. So they did they they made that deal contractually, and they do that to lock you in so that you'll go on Indiegogo rather than go elsewhere and go on Kickstarter, which makes it very easy because I'm like, okay, well I can get to 30, percent and that's another reason why we made our our, our crowdfunding goal 30,000 instead of 70. 5,000 because getting the 30% of 30,000, I felt like I could do that with my friends and family. Like mm -hmm. I'll make that happen without anyone else buying our stuff. And that will at least get us that newsletter thing. And we'll see what comes from that. They respond right away when you email. They went so far as they, one of the guys from Indiegogo was in town in Toronto for some event. And he made sure to, to look me up, to see if he'd come meet and went and had a coffee, like in person. So you that level of support just, they were there to answer questions. It just, settled so many of my nerves and it locked in uh, that deal, which got us in the newsletter. We ended up getting in three newsletters. And I think if you add up all the newsletters, what, what that contributed to our revenue was probably around $150,000 from the campaign. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's great. It's a significant amount. So that's 2016. Is the service still like that with them? I think so. I think so. Yeah, because they still message like they're like, hey, uh, you know, we talked to them about doing some shorts, a button, I'm sure mm. some ideas that we thought we might do another crowdfunding. And we did do a second crowdfunding campaign. They helped us the same way throughout that campaign. And they're, they're, they still message like, hey, how are your shorts coming along? Are you there? They're still on top of it. They, they're still there. Communication's great. Um, one of uh, our contacts went on mat leave. You know, I didn't talk to them in like six months, seven months and said, hey, I'm going on mat leave. So if you ever want to talk to someone, I'm going to give you another connect. So there's still like that level of, of 
attention and care. And, uh, you know, I sometimes think like if we did Kickstarter, we might have done double, maybe. But I just can't care because Indiegogo, it just it worked out exactly the way that I hope. And I, I'm just so grateful to them. Hmm. They should pay you. You said something earlier about you not knowing, well, you didn't really have a real business. So you raised the 380000 or whatever it was. And then you said you still hadn't built the site yet. Uh, you hadn't finished production. So in terms of uh, delivery delays on the customers that had ordered this stuff through the campaign, was there, I guess the first question would be, how long was the time frame between sort of end of campaign and delivery? And the second part of the question is like, how much anxiety was there around that whole process? Um, there was a lot of anxiety around delivery uh in every way like we were parent the the biggest fear i had and it continues to be a fear is the quality going going to shit so i our prototypes were fantastic and i'm thinking okay this is great and we found suppliers that we loved working with we worked really hard to find a good supplier but once we put our order in and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in inventory well what if that was all garbage we'd be out of business so I heard horror stories from people who had experiences like this, and I was ridiculously paranoid about it. So one of the things that we worked into our budget, like if we only did $75,000, there was a $10,000 budget in there to fly us to China because we were doing our manufacturing there and to oversee production and do quality testing ourselves. And the suppliers knew we were going to come and do that. And that was one to actually test the quality, but also to give the supplier the awareness that we will be there and they saw our airline tickets and they knew where we were going to go and all that. So that if we happen to be working with a supplier that would try to, you know, skim on quality or, or take a shortcut to increase the profitability on this one transaction, uh, it would be a bad idea because we're coming to see the stuff. Yeah. I wanted them to know that, but yeah, there's a lot of things that you do when you're, you're fulfilling these orders that you just can't foresee. Like we thought, okay, it's going to take us a couple of weeks, you know, to ship out or, all these orders, which was in hindsight, I'm like, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. We had one guy helping us, aside from us three, to pack and ship these orders. But we have a nice box, and the average order has six items in it. Like a lot of people are ordering two t shirts, two socks, two mm -hmm. pairs of underwear. So they might pick a medium gray crew neck and a medium black v neck and two medium pairs of underwear and one long pair of socks and one short pair of socks. We only had gray at the time. Uh, so we have to pack that into our box. We have to wrap it. We have this like little paper and a sticker. Then you have to put it in a poly mailer and we have to type in their address into stamps.com and print it out. You put that on and get the archive in the backer. There's this whole thing. And it took us 10 to 15 minutes per order. Mm -hmm. And we had over 2,000 orders and we we're cramped in a little storage locker. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> thinking that we could do this in a week. Like we couldn't do this in a week if we worked 24 hours a day and there was like triple the amount of us. So it was, it, you know, we had, we created a video showing us in the warehouse with boxes, you know, and we tried to, <laughs> and we tried to have a, 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 an angle so they wouldn't see how like small our, our storage locker was that we we're working at. It was, it was like five feet by 10 feet or something. It was, it, or, or like five feet by, or it was tiny. I don't know. It was the tiniest little thing. So we tried to have a certain angle. So it looked like maybe it was just the corner of our big warehouse, but really it was just this tiny little box. And we just had to deal with people like, where the hell is my order? Where is it? And 
whenever people started to complain, we would like get, we prioritize theirs. You know, I don't even think that they're that angry. I just think sometimes people have, they have the ability to, to be publicly angry, to expedite their order. I'm like, and it works. So they'll get resolved from that. But we had to deal with people being, you know, are you scamming us? Where's my order? It's like, no, we're not scamming you. Just wait, man, please. <laughs> Did you get any flack about producing the stuff in China from anyone? All the time. All the time. People, uh, I think there's a huge misconception about manufacturing in China. People think it means it's cheap quality. They're only doing because it it's cheaper. People say things like, oh, that's, you know, there's a bunch of children going to be working in your factories. And, and while I didn't, I know, I knew otherwise from people, other people that manufacture in China and they told me what it's like. That was in my head a little bit. So it was another reason we went to China it was not just out of paranoia about the quality. It was also like I have to feel good about where we're manufacturing. Like there has to like it has to be ethical. And I really was fearful of we're gonna go to some place and there's gonna be all these impoverished people, God forbid there's children that are underpaid, where like all these things that are planted in our head. But then I go to our factory and no, it's still a factory, right? Like factories are it's not like working in a Google office where you can pull on a book off the shelf and then the, the shelf turns and there's like a, a DJ music studio <laughs> behind the wall. It's still a factory, but in this factory, they have basketball courts. Um, there's everyone's breaking for a long lunch together. There's like chefs on site. It's completely different than everything I've ever heard. But the most important thing is this country for decades now has been investing billions and billions and billions of dollars in manufacturing, and they're the best. So I manufacture in Canada and I manufacture in China, and the facilities in China are so far beyond what what I'm used to here in terms of the technology, in terms of the discipline and the, the competency they have in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. It's China is the only place where it can be cheap. So people will manufacture their, well, other countries too, but you can't do that in North America as easily, but you can manufacture very cheap in China, but it's also the place you go if you want it to be really high quality. It, it's not just about cheap there. That's why iPhones have been manufactured there since the beginning of iPhone, because it, it's the real reason it's not really picking up in the States. It's not because it's not just a cost thing. It's like, it's a different level of ability and competency and no one manufactures better than China. So we do stuff here. We do t-shirts here, a little small runs, and we do socks here, but nothing compares to China. And our cost in China isn't even like if all things considered, it's about the same as the cost of manufacturing in Canada. So it just begs the question then why manufacture locally? Just because that shortens delivery time? That's the only reason. So what we do now, and we're just starting to do this, is um we we when we order from China, let's say we'll order a couple thousand t shirts, we'll also order material, extra material, which we store at a facility here and they're really good. It's we have to be a little bit more hands on with them, and we're still like learning. It might get to the point where it's as good, but we it cuts the lead time from three to five months to one to three weeks. So there's a huge advantage on time. And so what we and and also the minimum order quantities are way smaller. So if we run out of you know we have medium black V necks in size small to double XL, but we just ran out of large. You know we can order from China, we'd have to order a larger quantity and have to wait all this time. In Canada, I can order just the large and just 150 of them or whatever we need. So there's a lot of, there's a lot more flexibility I have here. So how did you go about finding your Chinese manufacturer? Like, and for those that might be interested in just getting stuff produced overseas and have no idea where to start, like what lessons have you learned and what could you share? So we found, we went on Alibaba 
and what I did was I I booked for merino wool t-shirts and apparel and people that can do it and you start to see like hundreds of if not thousands of manufacturers that are capable and some are definitely specialized in merino wool some are just saying it just to get conversational they may not even have ever worked with merino wool you have to sort of like try to filter like the 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 real stuff from the bullshit and what i would do is i would just look at i'd open up a new tab with every single one that looked like it might be good and i'd probably open up a hundred like 100 to 200 tabs of this might be a, a manufacturer that makes sense i'd look through them i'd see if they looked legit i'd close the ones that looked a little fishy narrowed it down to maybe 100 or whatever it was and then for all of those i created a questionnaire asking them a bunch of things so i said do you do 100 percent merino wool one question i asked was are you okay? We, we, if we're going to work with you, we need to come visit the facility. Are you okay with us coming to visit the facility? Um, how long would it take to do a sample? I had a, this like questionnaire and the questionnaire was designed to give the answers that I needed, but also um, to measure how fast they respond and how clear the communication would be because I was afraid of maybe there'd be a bit of a language barrier. But I asked a number of questions and how clearly they could respond was important because if I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, I have to make sure there's a, a good clarity in our communication. We have to be able to understand each other. Yeah. So if the answer really poor in terms of like they just I can't they don't understand what I'm asking. That was like a deal breaker. If they some of them didn't answer for over a week, deal breaker. There was a handful of people that they answered fast. Their English was excellent. They seemed nice. Um, they were totally excited to have us come visit that narrowed it down to i don't remember exactly but it was probably around seven or eight i looked deeper into those and we ordered samples from five of them we only ended up getting samples from three of them mm-hmm. and there was of those three no sorry of, from four of them um of those four three were good but two were excellent and we still work with those two so we have a couple extra manufacturers now but it was just this big process of like funneling it down to the best two got it got it okay so let's let's shift gears to the product itself talked a lot about merino wool of course there's no real secret sauce right you guys publicly share that it's merino wool so what's i guess the question i have is what's the real competitive moat that unbound has and are brands like i don't know lululemon nike or other big brands threats to those sort of long-term viability of this thing um i guess time will tell maybe uh lululemon will come out of the woodwork and squash us somehow um but until then this is this is what our competitive advantage is i think what we're doing is we're introducing people to this concept Merino for the first time. So when they see it, they're like, huh, that speaks to me. I'll try it out. Mm. And once they try our product, because we are never going to be wholesale, we can invest more money into the product itself and have a good, it's still, it's very expensive for us to make. Therefore, it's an expensive product to buy. But we invest a lot of money in making sure the product is of the highest quality and there's still room for us to grow a business in a healthy way. Whereas if we were a big wholesale brand, like a lot of these other brands that have a big in-person retail presence, they maybe need to cut corner or it needs to be more expensive or, you know, they can be a little cheaper, whatever it might be. So the two things we do is one, we're the audience we're speaking to, the market segment that we're really after, I think in large part, we're introducing them to this idea. Merino wool can be a super fine textile that makes for a super high performance t-shirt that will help travel better 
live better. It's a great product and it performs way better than the cotton shirts are used to. So once they try our shirt, we work really hard to have a really, really nice fit to maintain a lot of consistency uh, so that if you buy a medium black v-neck because that's your shirt and you love the way it fits, if you come back in a year and you buy it, like we're going to make sure that we're not changing our styles. There's no seasonality. It's a, We're making staples to, you know, when you come back, it's going to look the same. It's going to fit the same. But we're only iterating it just to make minor improvements as we get smarter and better, just little improvements. But ultimately, if it works for you and you love the product, it's we're completely devoted to just making sure that our quality is always at the highest standard and you know what you're going to get. Whereas a lot of these other companies, it's like they they work a lot more with seasonality. They have spring some uh, spring summer lines, fall winter lines. Things change, right, right. you know, fits change. We are making our core products, and there's there's no seasonality in what we do. Does that make the inventory forecasting any easier in terms of buying? It makes it easier. Yes, it makes it easy. It's still tough because we don't want to you know you don't want to over order and burn up all your cash on any particular skew, but. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid of ordering a little bit too much, you know, that might be too much black crewnecks because if it takes us a little longer to sell, we're not, it's not like we have to put it on clearance at the end of the season because this is now in the, we're moving in the new inventory. Like when we have our shirt, it is, there's, there's no season to it. That is our black crewneck shirt. That's going to be our black crewneck shirt forever, or at least for the very long foreseeable future with only minor iteration. So yeah, it's a, it's it's worked really well in that sense as we don't have any the seasonality doesn't make our inventory valueless. There's one other big advantage that I see with this whole play. So, I recently learned a stat, fact, whatever you want to call it, fashion's the second biggest polluter of the planet and, you know, there's beast certified corpse like Patagonia and some others that are doing some interesting work related to fashion. I'm just going to read you a quick snippet off your website which says In a world dominated by fast fashion, we want to slow things down. We produce timeless, versatile pieces that are designed to last. And in the end, you say helping you declutter your daily routine, save money and time, and focus on the things that actually matter. So just based on all of that, do you guys think of yourselves as sort of environmentalists? We So being environmentalist is not like a core tenet of our brand, but like it's, it's not like a part of our brand messaging, but we are. Like it's uh, one of the things that it, it actually is was really exciting about Marina Wool and the fact that you don't have, you know, it's if you have the same stuff and you're not constantly trying to like wear new clothing to deal with, with what's in. Like I, I'm, I'm like completely not into fashion. Like I'm not a fashion guy. I would like to have nice, simple stuff that looks good and fits good and performs well. Like I like having good clothes, but I couldn't care less about like this brand that's in and like ever having a visible look. I've never been that guy. So, and I know how, how destructive some of these brands are just churning out cheap stuff. And like, Mm -hmm. it just all goes in the landfills and people are buying new clothes all the time. People that are buying our stuff, they're buying like five shirts and then that's all they need. So not only is it less stuff that they're consuming, the other advantage environmentally is you don't have to wash it as often. You could wash it like a regular shirt. It's fine. But if you don't really need to, your laundry machine's off a lot more than it needs to be. There's a much lighter footprint when you have less stuff and you have to wash it less and you dispose of it less. You know, you can re- you can replace just like dozens and dozens and dozens of articles of clothing with just a few. And that's a simpler, better way to live. 
for decluttering your mind, but also decluttering the planet. So it just works on every level. So while it's not a core tenant of our brand and our messaging, it's important to us. And people that are very tuned in environmentally, they realize that. And it's a, it's a huge solution for that. Let me ask you about the press. So you've been featured in USA Today, Travel and Leisure, Huffington Post, Forbes, and others. Who was the first to write about Unbound? And I guess the second part of the question is, if you're an early stage company just wanting to get some press, what advice could you share? So I don't remember who the first was. One of the first things was I was on the business news network on an on TV segment. And the guy mm. smelled my shirt. I was wearing the shirt for a month straight before I went on. And <laughs> he, he put his nose into my armpit on TV, which was an awesome. It was actually the first time uh, anyone's ever like did that sniff test. You know, I know it works. So it made me you know, a little nervous. I'm like, oh, man, I hope oh, I smell good. Funny. But he did it right on TV. And he's like, oh, that's great. That was the first. When we launched our campaign, we worked with a friend of mine. He helped us out. He has a, a, a little boutique PR company called Rainmaker. And once you get start getting some press, it's sort of it's like getting the ball rolling. So we got like a little bit more. And then we we were on our own for a long period of time, but we really stopped getting press. About three months ago, we hired a PR firm, Eleven Eleven PR, and it's been awesome. So that's getting more. And I've seen, you know, with them, we're getting a lot of stuff. We're in like product roundups and little bites, but that's just the starting point. Cause once you start to get like little, like little news coverage, you kind of like work your way up the chain. Mm. So like, you know, Martha Stewart living and now Emma, um, CNBC wants to do a piece cause we're selling a lot to Silicon Valley. We sell a lot to tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. Can we, so can they- we talk about some of them that have bought? Um, Who's bought the most Unbound stuff? Give me a few examples. Okay, well, there's okay. We get there's like guys who are like you know ex presidents of of uh, like the Windows division of Microsoft. We got guys who are like the top guys of WordPress. Like sometimes I see the like I, yeah. I I follow like a lot of the orders that come in, and I see like especially like when they go to like Palo Alto and Mountain View, and we send so many to Google's head office, Facebook's head office you know, Uber, like all these tech companies and some of the guys that are right on top, they order. Uh, the CEO of Shopify just ordered from us. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it really excites me because I'm just like, I'm fascinated by those people and I don't have any relationships with them. I just like, it, it, I imagine that would be the kind of people that would buy our stuff right from the beginning because we have simple stuff that you could like kind of replace your wardrobe with. And I know, you know, you look at Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and their whole things, they have like, yeah, the minimalist, the just, yeah, they have one like, color hoodie, this and that. Yeah, and I'm like, well, people that like I would relate to that would love us because it's super high quality. It's not flashy. It's not about like showing brand, but having a certain level of quality and performance in simple clothing. And I thought that would be really cool. And I thought that would be the type of person that would buy, and they really have been. So that that was CNBC is doing a, 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 a working on a story now. I hope it does come out. Um, and they asked if we can connect them with anyone that works at some of these offices. So I had to go and try mm-hmm. to find some I connected them so they can interview. Um, but once you get all this little coverage from like smaller blogs and stuff, you sort of start to see it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, right now, there's this huge craze around Mary Kondo, Marie Kondo. Mm-hmm. She has this Netflix show about decluttering and people are just getting rid of like so much stuff and, and it's allowing them to have not just declutter their homes, but declutter their psyche by by nature of living in a in a simpler in a, in a simpler life with less stuff. So I get this these reports from our PR company about all this coverage that we're getting, and there's three right now that are interested in Marie Kondo. And the angle of the article is how people are tuning in to how minimalism is a is a 
better way to have peace of mind and how having less clothing and like not needing to constantly buy stuff, but have your, that black shirt, that's your stable black shirt. And people are using unbound as a way to have that simplicity. So there is this like, I don't know, it's like a zeitgeist There's a wave of, of, of people who now want to live more simply. So how else do people find you? So PR, SEO, obviously Facebook ads, how much of your customer base, by the way, comes from Facebook acquisition? 30%. So it's a, it's a sizable amount. And we've gotten really good at making our own Facebook ads. We do it all ourselves. 30% of it is now organic Google search. 30% is uh, returning customers. The rest is... Uh, a nice little spread. Yeah. I mean, that's rough. Like I don't, those numbers are, are exact, but it's, it's about that. I know 30, I just looked recently SEO is about 30%. I'm guessing about 30% for Facebook ads. The organic stuff was never 30% until like recently it was much smaller, but it's really picking up and there's a ton, you know, returning customers and word of mouth. Do you pay attention to the YouTube reviews? I watched a couple of earlier ones. They're, they're really good for the most part. I mean, there's a couple of issues people raise, but for the most part, I mean, the reviews are great. Yeah, every review that comes in, especially if there's any criticism, we take it really seriously and we work really, really hard to iterate and make it as, as great as possible. But for the most part, 95% of the, the feedback that we get, we send out surveys, I think a month or two weeks, is it two? I think it's about two weeks actually, after someone places an order, we send a survey out and they can, if they fill it out, they get entered to win a gift card and we get feedback. And, Almost all of it is ridiculously positive, um, and it's really nice to read that stuff. Yeah, we do take that stuff seriously, for sure. Okay, so uh, we have a few minutes left, and um, I want to come back to something uh, that we talked about at the very beginning, which was you know, you and, and running business with your best friends. So this thing is scaling. I mean, you, you guys have done unbelievably well since 2016. I guess I want to kind of finish this off by asking you like what is what is it like to scale a business with your best friends and are there challenges related to this whole dynamic that you didn't foresee it, 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 it interesting in the sense that i've heard so many people say i actually i think it's the common belief about what getting into business with your friends is people say don't do it mm -hmm. um, it's not worth it business and friendship don't mix i just think the opposite like I, I've never been in business not with my best friends. I think being best friends allows us to be completely candid with each other, even when we're like super pissed. And I'm totally, you know, they can be super pissed with me and or vice versa. We can be candid and explain it without them being offended. I don't have to tiptoe around how I talk to them. We could be candid and that helps. But when we're not bitching at each other about something really raw in a candid way, we're working together and we're best friends. Like what's better than that? So um, we've had some hard conversations that at the end of the day, we could push it all aside and, and realize we're all in this together. We're all best friends. And every single time I meet up with them, it's not only productive, but it's being with my best friends. You know, we have decades of inside jokes. We go for beers. Um, I, I, I try, I could try to imagine my business partners were not them. And I imagine my life is a little bit worse. Dan, this has been amazing. In, in the last couple of minutes, where do you want to point listeners to for more about Unbound? Well, you just type Unbound Marino into Google. Uh, that's our Instagram handle, Unbound, U-N-B-O-U-N-D, Marino's M-E-R-I-N-O. And yeah, that's on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. So yeah, that's it. Okay, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. I don't <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening and being a part of E2. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase. 
building subscription businesses for retail brands. Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork. WeWork is a global network of workspaces where people and companies grow together. WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. Your positive support means a lot to us. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your audio. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. ElectroCast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.